Behold, a new day has come, and it's another opportunity to honor the Lord and glorify Him. So, Father, we thank you that we are still here, and that we still praise you as Lord and Savior, despite our challenges, questions, burdens of life, and concerns that we may have within us. We pray, Lord, that you continue helping us to focus on you, to be led of you, to think of you. I remember my friends, my sisters, my brothers that are going through a hard time in one way or the other in life, that we shall remember that the Lord remains God in every situation. He shall uphold us and take us through the waves of life because of who he is. Teach us your scriptures, teach us your word, Lord, because in this we shall draw our confidence, we shall get our truth, and we shall be directed by you, King of glory to live to your honor and glory in every way, here on earth and also in eternity. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. A uh, blessed, a wonderful morning, my friend. My name is uh, um, David Kagwa, still reaching you with the word of the Lord, wherever you are. And uh, I bless the Lord for taking good care of you, providing for you, protecting you. Now, for those of us that may be struggling in one way or the other, I just want to... Um, urge you to look at life in this one thing in this one angle if you get to a point and you feel like god has forsaken you you've gotten to realign your thinking just get to refocus because god cannot forsake his own especially when you have the right perspective about him and you're led of the spirit i'll be doing a verse today that shall lead us to uh, that understanding but uh, if you're going through a hard time, may the Lord uphold you and may you know that he really intends um, well for you. He does not have any evil intention towards you. He's not evil in any way. He cannot do that. Now, today we are here to wind up our teaching on uh, um, uh, the wrong uh, interpretation or the most misquoted scriptures. Today, I want to wind that up. And then tomorrow, God willing, we'll probably embark on something big, 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 big to get to put into practice the things that we've been learning over time about the right use of Scripture and how to interpret Scripture. I've been pondering, and I think God is going to lead us to um, a book that shall put it in practice for us to understand what we've been learning. But we'll see that when tomorrow comes, God willing. Now, today I just want to do five uh, verses, the very last of uh, the most misquoted scriptures. And permit me to start with John uh, 14, 12. John 14, 12, which says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than those he will do, because I go to the Father. Now, most people who misquote that scripture or that verse do not actually read it in full like I've just done. They are simply going to say that God said we are going to do greater works than his own. You see, we are living in the later dispensation and therefore we are greater than Christ. Now, this is very common among us university students and in university fellowships, but also among us pastors. There are people that are not necessarily intending um, to be wrong, but they run away with scripture without understanding what it says, you know, and these are people that ultimately the net effect of um, that kind of perception is ultimately that they are greater than Christ. I've heard of people in Kampala that teach their apostle and their prophet is greater than Christ. And um, there are times that those videos do rounds on social media. And there's one that was speaking like that. You remember that kind of video upset so many people. But the point is, 
um, they are some are going to find the scriptural premise on what um, the, the, on which they are going to um, uh, allude uh, their you know heresies too. Of course, they don't say they are heretic, but ideally, when you look at scripture, they are. Now, they are going to say that Jesus said that we are going to do great and mighty exploits. In fact, greater than he did. But they get the verse out of context. Let us look at what it actually means. Let me reread it. It says, uh, John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Look at that verse. Now, we say that you've gotten to look at the context and also study it in line with the preceding verses and those that are coming after it and in line with the entire biblical perspective. When you look at John 14, Jesus is about to be crucified and uh, they're in the upper room. You see, they're in the upper room and he's speaking to his disciples. And what happens is that um, he tells them that he is going to go to the Father. And because of that, they are worried about uh, what is going to happen shortly thereafter if he's gone. He's been doing miracles. He's been providing for them. He's been leading them, uh, guiding them all the time. And right now, what was happening was that Philip went ahead to ask, um, show us the Father. And Jesus was explaining to him that, Philip, haven't you known that whoever looks at me, whoever has seen me, has actually seen the Father? And then he went on explaining and giving them details there. In verse 11, he says, I believe, uh, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And then he adds on and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. That is very important, the because I am going to the Father. Now, the whole context is one of Jesus affirming and strengthening his disciples and telling them, you don't have to worry because, one, I'm going to the Father, and two, later on he adds and he says, it is good that I go, it's good for you that I go, because if I don't go, the helper will not come. Now, all of us know that in one way or the other, this is um, an evangelical statement. Jesus is encouraging them that when I go, I shall empower you from on high with the power of the Holy Spirit. And only then will you be able to do the exploits uh, that I have commissioned upon you by the will of my Father. What exploits were those? Reaching out to the nations. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we know that he cautioned them not to leave Jerusalem until they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's get into the heart of this matter. What he actually meant was that finally they are going to do greater works in scale, not intensity. In other words, they are going to fulfill what um, he wants. He says, when you're filled with power, the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses where? First in Jerusalem, secondly in Judea, thirdly in Samaria, and lastly um, to the ends of the earth. That is what Jesus meant there in perspective. He meant that they're going to reach to many places. That is what is called in greater works. But even then, even if you want to uh, claim and say that we are going to be greater than Christ. I mean, it does not have proper sense. It doesn't have the logic. Why? Because he's saying he, we are still going to be working by the power that he, he gives. So <laughs> how are you going to be greater um, than 
than your father, greater than the one that is using you. I think it is Isaiah that says that the axe cannot be greater than the one that welds it. Yeah, in Isaiah chapter 2. Yeah? He, he, it can go as far as he swings it. You see, it, it can be a tool, but if it sits there, I mean, without anyone to use it, how then could you claim that uh, the axe is greater than the one that is welding it? So, friends, let's be careful about how we use scripture. Very, very careful. Uh, we need to be uh, careful about that. It's very, very important for us to understand that. Now, this, the other verse that I want to look at is uh, Revelation 3.20. Um, is Revelation 3.20, um, which um, teaches and says, Behold, I stand on the door. And um, let me read it verbatim. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person, and they will, and they with me. Now, most of us use this scripture or this verse to mean to be evangelical and to mean that Jesus is standing on the door and is knocking at the heart of an unbeliever. Please open up your heart and let Jesus enter so you start believing. But the right perspective and context of that scripture is actually not for unbelievers. It is for believers. When you look at um, the, the, this entire section in Revelation, it is uh, the section that you'd speak of as what John received as the things that were. Because, you know, Jesus speaks to him in that book and he says, I have appeared to you so you'll understand the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. Now, these were the things that were at that particular point. He speaks about seven churches, and you and me know that for a group to be called a church, Christ Jesus must be uh, in their hearts, must be um, in control. You understand that? Now, ideally, this was the church of Laodicea. And we know that it was lukewarm, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a church. They had actually gotten into faith, but, um, uh, you know, Laodicea, like we know, I'm not going to go into the details of the exposition, but Laodicea, like we know, was a city uh, that was quite rich, and uh, they, they trusted themselves, but they had tapid water, or water that was uh, not so tasty, they, they, they didn't have proper water in the city, so they, they dug an aqueduct that was over six miles. Uh, so by the time the water got into the city, uh, this city, uh, this water was lukewarm. So Jesus, or the Lord, uh, through uh, John, uses this very imagery to give them an understanding of their spiritual state at the time. They were so rich, um, they, they, they had a, um, pharmaceutical companies, you know, they had lots of things and therefore they were trusting in this and not really uh, getting to trust in the Lord the way that they should have done it. And this is why he writes lots of things and he says, you're neither cold nor um, hot, you're lukewarm, I will vomit you. And then he finally says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, most pastors or most people who use this verse are, are going to use it to invite non-believers to Christ. But Jesus was actually using it with believers. It is a verse that awakens our believers that have been walking with God for some time, but they become lukewarm. It is not a verse that is meant to be used with unbelievers because he was already um, in their hearts. The other verse that we shall do is actually around here as well, and that is verse 15, uh, about the same church. It says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. In other words, 
Um, some of us interpret this to mean that God is okay uh, with us being cold, that he wishes we are, we, we are cold, you know. But what the writer actually there means, what John means is, if you're cold, it is going to keep you in this cold, and therefore you'll get to a point of yearning for uh, warmth, or for spiritual um, seriousness and uh, warmth. That is what he means there. Um, it is actually could be confusing in one way or the other, but that is what John meant. It is not that God says you had better be cold uh, or warm. He doesn't support the coldness, but he says when you're out there, you, you're going to desire to be like the Lord. This is what he says in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, blessed are what? The poor in spirit. You understand that? For they shall be what? Filled. Uh, what he means is, you, you get to a point and you hunger for him, you hunger for his things, you realize that you really, really need the Lord and your bad love without him. That is what that verse means, and it often disturbs us in many ways. So uh, that is what he meant. And um, now I will move to the second last verse today that is uh, often misquoted, that is often misquoted, and that is none other than Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 28, which um, says, most people are going to quote that, and they say, all things work out for the good of those who love God. And what they actually mean with that is that everything is only going to be good and just good, full stop. That is what they mean. But actually what Paul means, he brings it in the perspective of um, the believer's journey. Uh, Romans 8 speaks of sanctification or the continuous purification of a believer going through things. Uh, going through um, the, the, his walk in life. He starts by talking about enduring sin uh, and how that was overcome by God, by the law, what he calls the law of the spirit. He later, from uh, Romans 8, 12, speaks about sonship. And then uh, the immediate perspective or context starts from verse 18, when he speaks about um, from suffering to glory. Like you've come to faith, God is sanctifying you, and then you begin walking, and you get to particular points in life, and you're suffering. But then he says the glory that you're going to experience later on, when the Lord is revealed in his fullness, is much more greater than the current suffering that you could be um, exposed to. And then finally, he does that verse of Romans 8.28, and he says that, um, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What he actually means there is he's not only speaking of um, moral goodness or speaking of um, a state of goodness uh, per se, but he says everything, including suffering, including temptation, that God can get into it and cause it to function for his will, which often is, you know, perfection, goodness, joy, and that kind of thing in the life of a believer. But it doesn't mean that the believer is not going to suffer like most of us want to use that verse to mean. It doesn't mean that the believer is not going to suffer in any way. One verse that can help us understand that is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. And he says, he led you through the great, um, the great and terrible wilderness with its um, fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know. 
that he might humble you and that he might test you and to do good for you in the end. I think that that is exactly what he means. That ultimately, no matter what you go through, whether it is a temptation, whether it is, uh, you know, suffering, it could even be that a sin has happened in your life, uh, which God doesn't support ideally. But what he means is every situation can be turned out uh, to submit to the will of God and um, ultimately uh, bringing you forth into what God wants, and that is eternal life. But not, uh, not that you're going to uh, to get only goodness, like um, most of us want to interpret that to mean. Lastly, the verse that we are going to do, one of the most misquoted verses, and this is often misquoted by pastors like me. It is uh, oftentimes misquoted by um, pastors uh, like me and uh, preachers of the word, and that is um, Titus 1.5. Um, it says that um, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. And most of us end there. But it goes on to say, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, for most people, use this to call people to repentance. They, they often think that this means that we repent. It actually comes out better in Uganda. That is where I hear people oftentimes messing up with this verse. And they keep saying, you know, No, 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 no. Even when I'm a deep, deep lover and passionate, um, you know, person of repentance, I day cannot go without me repenting. It is impossible. But he's not speaking of repentance there. He's actually speaking of uh, a literal living tight of living Titus there to to put the bits and pieces together by appointing elders over these various cities such that um the the, the work of discipleship can take effect Paul had ministered with um, Titus on the island of Crete and therefore he left them over there to finish up the work that was meant to be done in that place. It is not speaking of repentance like most of us want to imagine. Friends, with this we come to the end of the most misquoted scriptures and today and uh, I want to um, you know implore you and urge you, uh, you, um, you know seriously and um, deliberately to be very cautious about the way we use scripture, study it on your own, and also fellowship with um, Bible-loving and Bible-focused believers, because this is how we grow. Walk in scripture, we say it, read it, study it, uh, memorize it, and um, you know, go right ahead to meditate upon it every single day, apply it in your life, and this will make all the sense uh, that there is to make here on earth as we live for the glory of the Lord. May the Lord bless you in every way. Let us live to honor the Lord. Tomorrow we shall start embark on a book that uh, where we shall exercise the skills that we've got now in scripture interpretation. I'm still waiting on the Lord to see what book that will be, and that will be a good thing for us. Father, bless us all together, and I pray that uh, for people that have chosen to focus on scripture, uh, your spirit uh, shall be there to guide us every single day, my King of glory. I pray that we shall have the humility to accept correct 
correction, especially as far as misinterpretation of scripture is concerned, because scripture is your mind, and therefore it has gotten to be viewed exactly the way that you view it, O King of Glory. Direct us every single day, make us like the Bereans in Acts 17:10, that we shall study and examine everything that is taught to establish whether it is so. Give us a passion about scripture and also to teach others every single day what we will have shared, O King of Glory. Make us people that shall be focused on the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom, the things that are above where you're seated on the right hand of the Father and not just on the things down here on earth that are, are passing. We bless you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we've prayed and believed. Amen. God bless you.